This is the Celtics pregame show with Patrick Gilroy and Jeff Hickman on ESPN New Hampshire. All right, welcome back. Celtics pregame show. I'm Jeff Hickman. Patrick Gilroy has the night off and not necessarily by uh, choice or not necessarily by his own uh, excited vacation this time. He always he's always on vacation. I just I need to get that out there. I don't for for a guy who works as hard as he does. He gets more vacation time than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, but this is not a vacation. His uh, <laughs> he's having some issues with his furnace. Not a good night to do that because I can tell you that wind is brisk outside. If you haven't stepped outside. Uh, when you do, make sure you have a jacket on because it is uh, it is definitely cold outside. The Celtics taking on the Raptors tonight. Coming off a win against Orlando on Wednesday. This team needs this win uh, for a lot of different reasons. I think they need this win more for their confidence than anything else. And I think... I don't want to say it's a measuring stick game because I really don't feel like that's fair. I, there's two games that separate these two teams in the Eastern Conference. It's not like this is... The Golden State Warriors. I said it before. I, I I don't feel like they're playing a championship team. That said, I think it's good for their confidence level to say, you know what, we can hang with the top teams in the East. And one of those teams just happens to be the Toronto Raptors. Who, by the way, as as I as I look at CSN, you see uh, Jared Sullinger and his his boot coming into uh, to Boston. He's not eating a sandwich, so that's probably a good thing for. For Toronto, Jared Sollinger is kind of an interesting character, man. You know, he was a guy I knew the Celtics would never hang on to. Uh, it just it didn't make any sense. The guy, the guy really didn't give it his all. You know, we were talking about this in the last hour about players that you could tell were giving their all on the floor. Jay Crowder comes to mind. Isaiah Thomas. You never thought Jared Sollinger was giving his all. By the way, Abby Chin looks good tonight. I just I need to say that because I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. I don't want to pull a Brent Musburger here and get myself, you know, in trouble, but it's true. Yes, but while we're looking at our returning player of four seasons, I'm I'm reading captioning. The strangest part has been he's back here but he can't go to his own house. He has to go stay at the hotel with the team. That has to be a weird feeling yeah. to be quote unquote back home. home, but you're in a hotel with your team. Right. Yeah. Which it, by the way, I guess he's not like LeBron saying, I won't stay at whatever hotel Toronto's staying at. Cause I'm really, really fed up with politics not being over. And this whole idea of, well, I'm not going to stay in the Trump Hotel, and a couple guys went with him, I said, you know, find their butts. I, you know, here, here's my thing. Uh, listen, if people are going to start bringing politics into you know, every facet of our lives and, and use it as a, a vehicle to not do something or to, to be different or to make your statement, um, then you know what? I, I could care less. I, I really, it's. It, I'm going to become completely 
uh, apathetic to these obnoxious protests. And it, it just listen, man. It, it's time people sack up. And and I hate to say it that way, but it's true. You know, if if we're going to sit and watch basketball, and you have uh, the the lady was it in Philly or Chicago, I can't remember which, was singing the national anthem, and she was kneeling while she was singing the national anthem. Just don't don't disrespect my love for my country while you're doing that. I I don't want to see it. I don't care. I, but again, it's all everybody loves it. It it's it, it's it garners the conversation. You know, you used to see it on Monday Night Football yeah, yeah. or Sunday Night Football, I'm sorry, with uh, with Bob Costas would mm-hmm. always kind of interject some political thing to it. And now it's like, well, I'm not going to go here. I'm not going to go to this town. You know, Bruce Springsteen won't play concerts in North Carolina. The but- entertainment industry is supposed to be this oasis I can go to when I want to leave the real world. So whether it's I'm lucky enough to have $11 and go into a really IMAX theater and truly have myself blown away at these images. you you got to realize as an old man what I enjoy about going to the movies now. At the time I went to the movies because it was a date. Then I had 30 years. What go to the movies? That's why I have a big screen TV at home. Right, right. Now I'm finding myself at Jordan's down in uh, yeah. North Reading. <laughs> why? Because these movies have to be experienced this way. Yeah, it's, I, I it's agree with you. So I don't want my sports teams doing this crap. Well, and, and, and I the think... only reason I also the LeBron was—I guess you all can tell I'm a LeBron hater, sort of—is because he started to try to pull this crap when he went to Miami. Mm. Riley had more fits trying to say you don't determine whether the plane is leaving L.A. tonight or tomorrow. We determine. Because the whole club is going on the plane. Well, I want the whole club to stay an extra night because I'm in La La Land. Well, think about it. It's it's a microcosm even how parenting is done nowadays where the kids kind of dictate what goes on and the parents kind of adjust to it, it, it rather than the parents say, this is how we're going to do things and you're going to follow suit. Uh, then, you know, suddenly the kids can say, well, they're, they're abusing me. And then, you know, DSS gets involved. And then, you know, I mean, seriously, that's yeah. that's kind of like where it's going. Yeah. You know, it, it's really funny. And I, I say this not because it, this has nothing to do with my ex-wife, but um, I found it funny that during the course of, I don't know, the last couple of years, there were a lot of stories that came out of Massachusetts about kids that were in the uh the the DSS or you know children and fam- department of children and families under their care that they lost like they lost the children i don't even know how that's possible but they would lose track of these kids and then the kids would end up dead and they were oh whoops you know i i had no idea that that kid was getting abused and killed um yet uh, my payroll company from my job missed a child support payment um and I swear to God, like it, it was within like five minutes that the phone is ringing saying, "Hey, what, what happened here? What is what's going on?" That is to me incredible. That just goes to show you the bureaucracy behind everything. You know, it's it's all about money and control. And uh, but if it comes down to the kids for real, you know, they don't really care. Uh, so I think you're seeing that in sports a little bit. Uh, you know, it's all about the stars, and that's why I think there's a lot of. I don't want to say revolt against what happened with Kevin Durant going to the Golden State Warriors, but I do think there is some element of that where you know we're like, hey, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't competition. This is just a bunch of guys getting together, saying, hey, we're the best players in the world, and we're going to try to make a super team, and you're not going to be able to stop us. 
my hope is that somebody stops him, you know, and it, I think back to when the Pistons and the Lakers, and I think that was 05, uh, when, you know, you had Gary Payton and Carl Malone and Kobe and Shaq and everybody on the Lakers. Yeah, I'm mentally fact-checking you as 05. Yeah. It is 05, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the, the Pistons found a way to beat him and, and take him down in the NBA Finals, and I remember thinking, good. Good, you know, it was kind of it was the the middle finger to the league and to to the Lakers. Now, granted, anytime the Lakers lose, I'm gonna say good, you know. But it, it was more of the fact that I I don't like to see that kind of competition. I don't want to see five of the best guys playing an average team with two stars or one star or no stars. I want to see a competitive league, and I think. I think after this Golden State debacle, I think changes will be made. I, I heard uh, uh, the commissioner talking about, uh, you know, potential, you know, collective bargaining changes that would be able to allow or make a lot of money for guys to stay with the teams that they're currently with, and you know, it would open up some cap flexibility and those types of things. So there, there was an incentive in there financially for those players to stick around and, and play with their respective teams. You know, I actually was reading an article the other day, and I you'll have to forgive me, I can't really name the source, but it was talking about the chance that Kevin Durant comes to Oklahoma City again after winning a championship in Golden State and how, you know, if, if he and Russell Westbrook could ever, you know, get back kind of their, their friendship and, you know, but I think Russell Westbrook feels very burned by Kevin Durant, and I think that this Golden State team, if they go out and win a championship, I think it's going to make Russell Westbrook want to play with him even less because he's going to be like, "No, man, you already did it. You already did it. Now it's my turn. I'm going to try. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to find a way to do it myself." And I'll tell you, if you watch that guy play, Russell Westbrook, I'm, I'm referring to here, he's he is single handedly carrying that team i've just i've never seen anything like it you know we talk about lebron we talk about durant seth steph curry <sighs> watching this kid play triple double after triple double after triple double the guy can do it all and you don't really see the same i don't want to say the same coverage but i don't believe that russell westbrook gets the same respect in in the nba circles as the the top tier Kevin Durant LeBron James and I and I I wonder why in a see way. I I would have agreed with your statement just the other way around in other words it's the coverage that isn't as big but the respect is there that's fair I think that's fair and you're probably right but you know and again we we talk about the the infusion of current events and politics into sports I think it's the same thing with that you know you you, you saw all the coverage of the election, and I mean, everybody was sure that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And then one day you wake up, and it's it's Donald Trump, and you're, what the hell happened? That's what happened. The coverage was wrong, and the coverage was skewed. Um, now, granted, I realize that Kevin Durant and and Steph Curry and the the Golden State Warriors and LeBron they're all they're all profitable for the likes of ESPN and, and other sports networks to try to uh, spend a lot of time talking about them. But I also think that, you know, a guy like Russell Westbrook, 
if his team was performing a little bit better overall, he'd probably get a little more coverage. You know, he's this guy that's just doing it all in a vacuum, it almost feels like. And I don't know if that's due to the market in Oklahoma City. Possibly. But at the same time, if if they were winning a lot of games, I, I mean, I still think he should be in the MVP conversation. And I don't think he will be. And and to me, it's too bad because it's, it's all for naught to a certain extent. I, I don't think that's – and listen, I, I get it. You can't really be an MVP if your team sucks. <laughs> I mean, you can't. It's it just it's not fair. Um, but Oklahoma City, they're fourteen and eight. They're they're doing just fine, but it's overshadowed by the twenty and three Golden State Warriors or the Clippers. Even the Clippers, yeah. Who, by the way, got their butts handed to them mm-hmm. by Golden State. They are to me the Clippers are the ultimate paper tiger of the NBA. They are just a team that's going to be there now. It's so funny because talk about a change in uh I don't know, perception about a franchise, right? That they were a franchise that was the losingest NBA franchise in history for a very long time. Now, they get all these wins all year long and then they just die on the vine in the playoffs. It's it's kind of incredible to see, and and the uh, sweet irony of you correctly forced out a fairly racist owner, but one of the reasons the Clippers were as bad as they were for as long as they were is that no one would fire a black man, Elgin Baylor, mm. who showed from year one of what turned out to be a double-digit year control of this franchise, that he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, and Now, it, and mind you, some people haven't had success from that very same group. They were white guys. You know, it's nice to see him doing commercials now, but Jerry West, hello. You yeah. didn't win out in California. You came to the East Coast and became a general manager, team president. You didn't win there either. So I'm not myself getting on Elgin for being black. I just find the sweet irony that an owner finally got canned because he was a racist amongst other things. Yeah, but you realize the Clippers were woefully a 400 club at best because there was this really, really stupid guy running it for years. Yeah, and I think, you know, they were they were a mess from the top down. And that is one of the things that, you know, we, we talked about that, you know, Kevin Durant possibly coming to Boston – in that discussion, what took place was the solidification of Danny and Brad and and Wick and the the uh, the ownership group that there was some stability here. Which, frankly, I don't know if it means a hill of beans to most players, but I do think after you saw what happened with the Clippers and you see how an organization like Sacramento could be so poorly run. I can't think of another community that's got four sports stability like Greater Boston does. I mean, I just can't I can't think of another one where you don't go, "Wow, this is the second time the baseball team has been sold in the last 5 years or wow, this is uh the basketball team had to move out of there." It's pretty darn stable when you go from Henry to Delaware North over to the uh Kraft family. Two guys like Wick Grosbeck and the team that's running the Celtics. It's pretty stable stuff now. Pretty sane guys. 
and with, by the way, deep enough pockets if something goes wrong for a year to weather the storm. Yeah, and it's, you know, I laugh because it's, it, I want to say it's almost rare that you see this kind of dysfunction in major markets because there's it's a lucrative market to to be a winning you know team no no matter what sport but LA i mean the clippers being the 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 redheaded stepchild of you know LA when you have the lakers who are perennial perennial playoff contenders but now the lakers are they're not that good um i mean they're they're better than they were last year but they're really not that good and hell look at I mean, Sacramento is just a lost cause unless somebody can get in there and do something with it. And back in the day when they had Chris Weber and Vladi and I mean that was those were fun Sacramento Kings days. Mike Bibby and you know those were those were fun playoff series to watch. And the NBA doesn't want their next problem if it were to develop to be again on the West Coast. I, I would they've, agree. they've had enough in the Pacific Northwest as well as Vancouver, you know. But here's another – so where where I was going with that is – but look at the major market that is, is, again, a big problem. It's on the East Coast, and it's in New York. The Knicks are a terrible organization. They have been for a long time, you know, right from when uh, Isaiah Thomas was there and, and trying to run things, and, that, and there was a whole thing going on with the ownership, Mike Dolan. I mean, there was just – it, it, it was like a snowball effect. And now you've got Phil Jackson, who everybody thought was going to kind of come right. in there and bring that stability, and there's still problems. Yeah, but I, it's but it's still 20,002 fans strong, and most people choosing right now, by the way, between does the player go or Phil goes, eh, get rid of the player, keep Phil, even though Phil's contract conveniently would be done in a year and you could get rid of Phil just as easily, say, retire Phil, didn't work out. However... We just saw across the river the opposite of that, where despite the millions of people and how could you lose money and all that, there were 40,000 empty seats at that Jets game. And I don't yeah. care if you're, if you're counting ticket revenue or resale revenue with Ace Ticket or just the damn concessions. If you've got 40,000 empty seats at an NFL football game, you've got a problem. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And you know, from a revenue standpoint, you've got to be able to capitalize on your market. Um, now, again... It's tough when you're sharing a stadium. I, I admit that. You know, the Lakers are doing it with the Clippers, and, you know, the Giants are doing it with the Jets. Um, I think that that takes away from some of the, uh, I don't want to say attraction, but sort of the, the uh, I, I'm missing the word here, the, the unique artistry of what a, a stadium means, you know, what what your love and your passion for the team and the the environment and you don't get any of that when it's not yours as a fan. You know the Celtics play in the same place as the Bruins, but they're not in the same sport. Right, I'll give you the the example of that and just looked at it again the other night. The Bradley Center neither looks like Marquette's home court or the Bucks. It looks like some generic cement thing that they both play in. It doesn't have the feel that the old Mecca had for the Bucks, but it doesn't look like an on-campus game for Marquette. And it just, I don't know, it was like a neutral site game, even though I know I was sitting here watching CBS Sports and I was watching a home game for Marquette. But it didn't feel like a home game because they were in this 
cement mausoleum called the Bradley Center in downtown Milwaukee. Badly needed over 11,000 seats at the Mecca. Don't get me wrong, but it is neither their home or the Bucks' home. Well, and and can you imagine how demoralizing it is? I, I'm not a Jets fan, obviously, but I, if you're a Jets fan and you're watching that game from home and you see these empty seats in your stadium and you know that the following week – the Giants are going to be playing there, and they're going to have that place packed and rocking, and it's going to be loud, and it's going to be crazy, and they're they're in the playoff hunt. That has got to be demoralizing. It has to be. Now, I think it's a different situation over in L.A. with the Clippers and the Lakers because for forever the Clippers were just terrible, and I feel like you know in L.A. it's just you go to those games to be seen. You know, you you're, you get all these famous Hollywood types that are in there, and it's not really a game full of fans that are diehard Lakers fans, except maybe Jack Nicholson. Um, but the Clippers were like the game you went to when you couldn't get tickets to go see the Lakers. You just went to go see a Clippers game instead. Um, Mets, you know, uh, and, and Yankees kind of thing. But they played at least in separate places. It, my point is, they're, the, the, the Celtics and, and the organization, the structure of this organization is in place for us to be a long-term success. So is Danny going to be capable of making that happen in that short term? I mean, they they've they obviously believe in Danny and Brad together, and there's obviously a plan. But what that plan is, I don't know. Because it it has to happen soon, doesn't it? Because if it doesn't, you're losing IT. You're losing Al Horford just to age. And I don't think that there's anybody on this team that's kind of up and coming that's going to be a superstar. I think Jay Crowder is who he is, and I think he's always going to be a strong role player. He is a James Posey. You know, he is that player. Avery Bradley, maybe. But I don't. I think Avery Bradley's got an all-star caliber talent, but I don't think he has superstar written on him. And so how do you make this team better? And how do you do it soon? And the only answer is you trade your picks and you, you have to move some of these guys. And I think some of those guys, you know, like the Amir Johnson contract, that's a good contract to trade. Amir Johnson, you don't need the player. You really don't. I, I mean, I hate to say that. He's really your only good defensive player right now. But if you're going to bring in a star, that's $12.9 million that you could trade. But where they've been able to get you to believe, and, and I'm one of them, is the fact that they haven't tried to sell you a bill of goods that they don't believe in. No one's no one's come to me and said, you know, we, we want to get that one player, and then we're all set. They They have, by implication rather than stating it outright, as I've watched the team last year and this year, we realize seven of those guys won't be there if they win a championship. I understand that now because yeah. I don't think they're winning a championship this year. And, you know, I'm sorry, probably not next year. Then I hope they're really ready to win one. But I know that most of the guys who are entertaining me, including in another five minutes tonight, aren't going to be there. And they've never tried to say, oh, we love so-and-so. He's, he's going to be part of the next ring. No, he's not. He's the placeholder, but we didn't have to go down to being, you know, a joke like the 76ers 
or some other teams that when they go bad, they go real bad. We managed somehow to get to that mid-level bad, make a trade or two where we got the type of assets, you know, first-round picks you'd get if we were super bad. So that means I get to watch entertaining basketball till they pull the trigger on a couple of these things and go for the championship. And again, I mean, if you're looking at this as the rebuild that it is, you know that we're technically supposed to be worse, not better. And yet Danny has found a way to make this team competitive and successful during that rebuild. I guess my question is, what is the rebuild made of? Is it a rebuild start from scratch rebuild? Because it doesn't feel that way. And I don't think you're paying guys like Isaiah Thomas and, and Al Horford to be here if you think that this is a long-term rebuild. So what is the window? And when is Danny going to say, I've got to go out and hunt hard? I think they have been, frankly. I think they have been looking for that big deal, and I don't think they've been able to get it. I mean, draft night was a big letdown for a lot of people. They were sure something was going to happen. Everybody was sure something was going to happen. And then Wick comes out and says, oh, yeah, you know, nothing, nothing's really happening. We got a few offers. We laughed and hung up the phone. But I just I find that hard to believe. I believe that there are teams out there willing to deal, and I think Danny overvalues his assets right now. And as I said, the more time that passes, I think the more time that uh, there's a chance that Al Horford gets old and Isaiah Thomas wants more money, and it's there's a window here, folks. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play tonight. And I think mainly because I want to see that they get up for this game. And they're at home. Hopefully the crowd will be into it. It's Friday night, so, you know, Boston fans may have already tied one on before they get into the uh, the stadium. I mean, it's going to be interesting just to see how they respond after blowing out a bad team on Wednesday. Can they bring it tonight? When sporting events were more scheduled around 8 o'clock, I don't know if I've personally told you this. I know I've told Patrick. Friday nights were when you could go, in my youth, see two games. Mm. Knicks would play somebody at 6.30, Celtics at 8.30. You imagine that? You bought a ticket. You saw, like, Knicks Pistons. And then you watched the Celtics play in the second game. The, the home team came out at 8.35 or so at night to play. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. a different world now. Yeah. You know, and, and everything is so immediate. You know, we have so much media. We have so many, uh, you know, tablets and phones. And it, it, there's just, you don't even need to buy tickets to anything anymore. Because now you can go to a Celtics game and you can still get the late train back to Lowell because it's over by then. Yeah. But in my day, it was, well, see, we're still taking the car all the way to Boston because otherwise we've got no way of getting back to uh, what is now ESPN New Hampshire. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, well, I appreciate the help. Thanks for staying tonight as Patrick couldn't make it, and uh, we'll be back again with you I don't know when. Maybe never. No, I'm just kidding. I, I have no idea, but we will be back at some point. Enjoy the game, and let's see what the Celtics are really made of tonight. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Hickman. This is ESPN New Hampshire. See you later.